Well, my name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Fellowship. We're so glad that you're here on the last Sunday of February. Can you believe that already? Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can make a choice to follow you. You don't strong arm us. You don't coerce us in any way. You draw us by your love. Lord, we are loved in this place today. And in the good times and the bad times of our life, Heavenly Father, I pray that we will follow you. That we'll reach out to those who are hurting, those who are in need. That we will be Jesus extended and shown forth to our community. Lord, thank you for the music. Thank you for these that are here today. Help us to learn from you right now. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Anybody read the post-dispatch? Online, at least. Yeah, somebody back there. You're dating yourself. Well, I get the USA Today, and I get the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And uh, Recently, there was an article in the Post entitled, Feeding an Army. And the article told how the Army was trying to educate its new recruits in eating healthier food. And good luck in that, right? <laughs> See, the Army's goal is to produce healthier, slimmer, less injury-prone soldiers. I didn't realize the Army spends roughly $65,000 to train one soldier. But a soldier who gets injured during training, of course, costs the Army much more money. And most Army recruits of today have lived on diets of fast food, and so they don't know how to feed themselves, and they've never learned how to feed themselves some good, nutritious food. And the army says this makes them more prone to injuries when they encounter the rigors of basic training requirements. Well, this morning, as we continue our series, Ignite, I want us to consider food for those who are part of God's army. See, the Bible uses metaphors such as fight and battle and weapons to refer refer to those of us who are Christians and have committed our lives to serving Christ. You know, we don't take up physical arms, we don't learn to march, we don't learn to fight in a literal sense, but we have committed to serve and follow Jesus and obey Him as our leader. Christians need healthy food to help them live more productive lives of service. And the food that I'm going to talk about this morning and the food that we need as Christians is the food that's found in the Bible. And friends, you can't find it anywhere else. You can eat at the finest restaurants, like Taco Bell, (laughs) McDonald's. But the food I'm talking about is found in the Bible. And the sooner we realize that and act upon it, the sooner we'll grow stronger and be all that God wants us to be. As we consider what we must do to ignite our spiritual development, we must come to this realization. There's no other way, and I want to underline that, no other way to have spiritual growth and spiritual maturity without the health food found in the Bible. Jesus says this, Jesus answered, Scripture says 
A person cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that God speaks. Jesus knew that those who follow him would need to have a good diet of spiritual health food. Now, he knows his followers must also have the natural food of life, represented here by bread. But he also knows we must have the spiritual food of God's Word. In essence, we must learn to feed and eat on everything that God says in the Bible, His Word. Now, here's the problem. Most Christians don't know how to do that. We don't know how to feed ourselves, so we depend on others to feed us. We listen to sermons. We attend Bible studies. We listen to Christian teaching radio. We read Christian books. And these are all very good things to do. And I want to encourage you to continue to do these things. But doing all those things I just mentioned will never give us the full diet of health food that God knows we need. You know, as we grow physically, one of the marks of maturity is to be able to feed ourselves. Mom and dad don't have to feed us the peas or the applesauce anymore because we've learned to do it for ourselves. And I just have to stop here a moment. You that uh, have had children or have children now or grandchildren, and you get that Gerber baby food out, and you undo that top, and, and you, you got that spoon in your hand, and boy, it says peaches or, or pears. And How many of you ever tried that food? Some of it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and some of it's really bad. In our spiritual growth, it's the same. As we become more spiritually mature, we learn to feed ourselves from the Bible. Now, the writer of Hebrews, and it's really not known who he was. Many believe it was Paul. So I'm just going to say the writer of Hebrews had a real problem with Christians who lived in his day concerning what we're talking about right now. And he wrote this. He said, you've been Christians a long time now, and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things a beginner must learn about the Scriptures. Read along with me right now. You are like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. Ouch! Whoa! That's kind of hard preaching there, brother. He said, there's something wrong about this picture. You need to grow up. You need to learn to feed yourselves and quit depending on someone else. Now, I believe if we could bring that writer of Hebrews to the day that we live today, he would be even more upset about the spiritual immaturity and lack of growth in the American Christian in 2011. George Barna wrote this. He said, America's spiritual confusion undoubtedly relates to the fact that most people own a Bible, but few know what's in it. 
What Barna referred to is known as biblical illiteracy. And the definition for biblical illiteracy does not relate to a lack of ability to read the Bible, but to a lack of knowing what's in the Bible. You see, biblical illiteracy isn't the unintentional inability to read and understand the Bible. It's the intentional neglect of the Bible. Biblical illiteracy is the intentional neglect of God's Word. Barna was right. Most people do own a Bible. How many are going to love packages this week? Stand up. Stand up if you're going to go to love packages. Right now we've got, I think, 18 going, and that's about eight more than last year. And, you know, we're going to go to a, a, a ministry that sends Bibles and Christian literature to people who don't have Bibles, who people who don't have Christian books. And so I want you to pray for us and and keep us in your prayers as we go this week. And if anybody else wants to come along, just see me after the service. It's a wonderful opportunity to serve and, and do something great for other people. The Bible is the number one best-selling book in the world. And in fact, most Americans have more than one copy in their homes. And that's the paradox. We own Bibles... But we don't know what's in the Bibles we own. I read about a survey at a high school in Massachusetts. Remember, this is high school. They asked a series of questions about the Bible and discovered that most students thought Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. I should have asked you guys. (laughs) They thought Jesus was baptized by Moses. And then this is one that probably would have caught many of us. They thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles. The epistles and the apostles stands to reason, doesn't it? Jay Leno has gotten a lot of laughs with a model or a thing he does called Man on the Street Sketches. You've seen those probably. I'm usually not up late enough to see him, but... In one of those, he's done many of them about Bible knowledge, but one of those, he, he had two college-aged girls on the street, and he asked them, what is one of the Ten Commandments? And they looked at each other, they looked at him and said, freedom of speech. <laughs> then he said, complete this sentence. Let he who is without sin, and they said, have a good time. <laughs> and my favorite Who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? And they gave this well-known biblical character, Pinocchio. (laughs) You know, it's unfair to pick on those two college-aged girls. We should have asked this, as I said before you walked in, to this group right here. But here it is, plain and simple. If we're going to ignite our spiritual growth, We must learn to feed ourselves the health food that God has provided in this book, in the Bible. You see, how you and I approach the Bible will determine how much we get out of it. 
If we come to the Bible as a skeptic, it's going to be a closed book and will not provide very much nourishment, if any at all. You see, if we're going to grow in our Christian faith, we must accept the Bible as the authority in all things. And what a dirty word today, the word authority. But if we say, God, you know, I want to learn from your word, it will open up to us. And we will learn from God's word and be nourished by it all the days of our lives. The story is told about a college professor who told one of his classes, you know, I read the Bible and I just don't get anything out of it. A young girl in his class raised her hand and said, Sir, the Bible is God's letter to his children. She said, Prof, that's what you get for reading somebody else's mail. You know, what she was saying in her simple way was that you don't get it, Professor, because you don't know the author of the book. You're reading as a skeptic and as a doubter and not as someone who is sincere and humble and who really wants to know the author of the book. You see, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. And nowhere does it make an excuse or apology for this claim. That makes the Bible different than any other book in your library. And for that matter, the Bible is different than any other book in the world. The Bible is God's Word, and it's inspired in a way that no other book is inspired. The Bible itself tells us it's God-breathed. In other words, every word in the Bible, in the original languages, came from God. He used about 40 human beings to write it down. But the inspiration and words that they were writing down was coming directly from God himself to the authors of the 66 books that make up our Bible. Before you and I choose to feed ourselves on God's word and allow it to nourish us, we must have to accept its authority. You see, every person at some time must decide this issue. What's going to be the authority in my life? Everybody has an authority they rely on in their decision-making process. In other words, for the questions of life such as what's true, what's right, what's good, we need an authority. And there are competing sources of authority that people look to in helping help answering these questions, what's good, what's true, what's right. And one source that's very prevalent in our day is the culture or the world around us. The culture screams, everybody is doing it, so it must be the right thing to do. Now, did you ever try that with your mom and dad? Everybody's going. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be doing it. I remember my parents saying, well, would you jump off a bridge if somebody else did it? See, that's the truth by the majority rule. Everybody's doing it. Or truth by popularity. Or truth by personality. But the Bible has a different take on it. Do not follow the crowd 
in doing wrong. And then in Isaiah we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Go way back, friends. The days of Moses and Isaiah, we had warnings against looking to the culture of the world around us for our authority. I believe the warning is just as urgent today. And if we build our lives on culture being our authority, we are headed for trouble. Culture and the world around us changes rapidly. What's in the day is out tomorrow. Those who are popular this week are forgotten the next. In contrast to the culture, the Bible does not change. And its truth is the same today as it's always been and always will be. The Bible is eternal and reliable source of authority. Unlike the culture of the world around us and the changing values of culture, don't get caught up, whether you're still in high school or college or as old as I am and everything in between, don't get caught up in thinking the culture is a reliable source of authority for your life. Another unreliable source of authority is our own reasoning and emotions. You know, reasoning is when I say something like, well, I always thought, and you fill in the blank. Or, you know, I think this is true, so undoubtedly it must be true. Reasoning demands that we rely on our own intellect and ability to figure something out. You know, if it sounds reasonable to me, then that's got to be my source of authority. But we're warned about this in Proverbs. We're warned about this in Proverbs. (laughs) Amen. There is a way that what? Appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. And the writer there is talking about separation from God's spiritual death. There appears to be a ray. I've reasoned this through. It seems to be right. People say, you know, I've thought about it. I've analyzed it. And it seems reasonable to me. But wait a minute, friends. That's not enough. Your intellect and capacity to analyze and reason something through is an incomplete an unreliable source of authority. Our reliance on reason as a source of authority for our lives may lead us into some very dangerous territory. And then, of course, we have our emotions and our feelings. That's the, if it feels right, it must be right. Oh, you know. Well, I don't know about you, But I know from personal experience that feelings can and do lie. Anybody old enough to remember a a real classic song by B.J. Thomas, what he told us in one of his songs? Hooked on a feeling. Remember that one? 
But see, OBJ forgot to tell us that you can also be fooled by a feeling. And this idea of feelings being a source of authority for us has been around a very long time. God's people, in fact, have dealt with this issue for thousands of years. In the Old Testament book of Judges, the nation of Israel, the northern nation of the divided nation of Israel, they were falling apart. And we read this in the book of Judges. At that time, there was no king in Israel. Read along with me. People did whatever they felt like doing. Wow. You know, roll it up a few thousand years and you could say that's just like today. Everybody's doing what they feel like doing. Don't believe for one minute that your emotions or feelings can be a reliable source of authority for your life. Again, I tell you, there's one and only one completely reliable source of authority for your life and mine. It's not the culture of the world around us. It's not our ability to reason or our emotions or feelings. No, the only reliable source of authority for us today, tomorrow, and forever is God's Word, the Bible. The Bible says this about itself. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. It is through the Word that we become all God wants us to be. Here, Paul is telling us what the Bible's good for. Maybe you've asked that yourself. You know, what's the Bible good for? Paul tells us the Bible is good for four things. It shows us the truth. In other words, there's a path that God wants us to walk in this life. And it shows us the truth. It shows us the path. Number two, it exposes our rebellion. It shows us when we get off that path that God wants us on. Number three, it corrects our mistakes. It shows us how to get back on the path when we've sinned against God. And four, it trains us to live God's ways. Once we're back on the path, we want to stay on the path, so the Bible trains us how to do that. Well, before we can talk about igniting our spiritual growth and becoming all God wants us to be, By feeding ourselves the health food found in the Bible, we must come to this conclusion. We have to say to ourselves, I'm going to accept the Bible, the Word of God, as my authority for life. When the Bible contradicts culture, I'm going to go with the Bible. When the Bible contradicts my reasoning, I'm going to go with the Bible. When the Bible contradicts my emotions and my feelings, I'm going with the Bible. And after we've accepted the authority of the Bible in our lives, then how do we learn 
to feed ourselves the health food that's found in it. How do we learn to do that? I want to help you this morning with some few things that we can do to study the Bible and feed ourselves from it. Number one, pray. You just say a prayer. Quick, simple, and ask God every time you pick up the book, ask God to help you understand and give you insight into what you're going to read. Someone has said that the Bible is the only book we can actually talk to the author while we're studying it. And the study time I'm talking about here is different than your daily Bible reading where you may be using one of the Bible reading guides that we have in the literature rack in the commons area. Or you're using some other form of method reading through the book of the Bible. This isn't just a five or or ten minute snack from God's Word. But it's kind of what I would call a full meal. Where you would study for maybe up to 30 minutes or more. Something you don't just try to do once a week. You wouldn't be trying to do it every day necessarily. You may work up to that. Who knows? But you would try to dig a little deeper than normal to truly nourish your spiritual well-being with that kind of study. So you pray, and the number two is meditation. And that can be a scary word for folks because they, they think it means sitting in some funny position and repeating some phrase over and over and over and then contemplating your navel. You know how that goes. But actually the word meditation means Seriously thinking. That's all it means. Seriously thinking. Meditation is giving serious thought to something. See, I figured this out. If you know how to give serious thought to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or you know how to give serious thought to an Emo's pizza with all the toppings, then you can meditate or give some serious thought about the spiritual food found in the Bible. Biblical meditation is when you take a portion of the Bible, you take a scripture or two, and you go over and over it in your mind. It doesn't mean you put your mind in neutral and you just zone out. It means the exact opposite. It means you do some serious thinking. You think about what you're reading in the Bible, and you ask God, God, what does this mean? That's not too hard. Paul wrote this. He said, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Paul said, the Lord will help you understand the things I am writing to you in my writings. I came across a unique acrostic that I think will help us with biblical meditation. This acrostic is made up of nine letters. S-P-A-C-E-P-E-T-S. Can you spell that? Oh, I forgot to tell you, there's a space in the middle. Space pets. Well, that is strange. I thought, well, maybe... The person who put this acrostic together must have known about Astro Dog and Orbity. You remember them? You remember their owners, George, Jane, Judy, and Elroy? 
Well, Astrodog and Orbity were the pets of the Jetsons. So maybe this was a Jetson fan. I don't know. But each letter in this acrostic that I'm going to give you this morning represents a question we can ask in meditating on any Bible passage we read. So we start with the letter S and we say, is there any sin to confess? And if there's sin to confess, I say, Lord, I confess that particular sin. So we start by asking, is there a sin mentioned in what I'm reading that I need to confess? P stands for, is there a promise to claim? God's Word has thousands of promises in it. And when we read one, we should ask, is this a promise that I can claim for my life and my situation? You see, some of the promises in God's Word were for a different age and for different people. But there are many for you and for me today. So one of the greatest promises in that book is found in John 3.16. And if you can quote this with me, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What a promise. That if we believe in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, that He will forgive us and accept us into His family and that we can have the promise of eternal life. That's the greatest promise in God's book. See, as you ignite your spiritual life and you learn to feed yourself from the Bible, ask, is there a promise you can claim? A stands for, is there an attitude to change? So much of the Bible is filled with stories about real people. People like you, people like me. And as we read about them, we see that these people, just like us, have both good and bad attitudes at times. Moses, Samson, David, Elijah, Peter, Paul. Read their stories. They all had attitudes. And we should ask, is there an attitude I see in their lives that I need to change in my life? C stands for, is there a command to obey? The Bible is filled full of commands that God wants us to obey. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a command. Another command is to do all things without murmuring and complaining. Not easy. We all know that. But it's a command to obey. When we study the Bible, we need to ask, is there a command that I'm reading about here that I should obey? E, the last letter in the word space, is there an example to follow? Sometimes as you read and study, you find an example in the Scriptures that you can say, I need to do that. You know, I need to do what Joseph did. Or I need to do what Daniel did, or what Barnabas did, or what Dorcas did. Those God-honoring men and women of the Bible who did the right things while they walked on this earth. And their doing the right things moves us to ask, is there an example that I'm reading about in the Bible that I should follow? That's the word space. Get ready for the next one. What's the next one? 
pets. P, is there a prayer to pray? One good way to pray, if you're struggling with your prayer life, is to pray the prayers that are written in the Bible. When you find a prayer in the Bible that fits your situation, you can pray it for your children, your spouse, your friends, Christian leaders. Look in the Psalms. You'll find many of the Psalms there are prayers of David. So as we read, we may stop and and just take a moment and pray the prayers we're reading that God inspired others to write as prayers. E stands for, is there an error to avoid? And that's an easy one to spot for me. Is there an error, something that would lead me astray and cause me to sin, that I can see from my reading the Bible that I should avoid? And finally, T, not finally, but T, is there a truth to believe? The Bible is truth. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, cover to cover, the Bible is truth. But sometimes you come across something that God wants you to really acknowledge as truth in your life. And He wants you to affirm your belief in that particular truth that He's showing you right then. So as you study and read God's Word, always ask, is there a truth that I'm reading about that I should believe? Finally, S. Don't even know how to spell pets, do I? Is there something to thank God for? Whenever we study the Bible, we should look for and find something in our reading to thank God for in His book. Space pits. Nine different questions that we can ask. And as we do, we will be engaged in biblical meditation. We've got copies of that acrostic available if you'd want one at the info center after the service. Prayer and meditation. Help us study the Bible and feed ourselves from it. A third thing we need to do is called application. And this is probably the most difficult part of the process of feeding ourselves. You see, the enemy of our souls, whatever you want to call him by, the Bible gives him a lot of different names, but the devil, Satan, whatever it is, whatever name you choose, he could care less if you read the Bible. He doesn't care. He could care less if you spend a half hour a day studying the Bible. And trying to feed yourself from the Bible. He doesn't care. Just as long as you don't take what you're learning from the Bible and apply those teachings to your life. That's when he cares. The devil wants us to stay spiritually immature and to remain spiritual babies. And he's devised a plan, a very good plan, a very cunning plan for that to keep us in spiritual infancy and spiritual immaturity, and that is to convince people to not apply the teachings and truths of the Bible to their lives. It's always for somebody else, always for some other church, always for some other group, but not us. Remember Hebrews chapter 5? The writer said, you ought to be grown up by now, but you're still sucking a bottle with milk. 
He told them they ought to be eating steak and, and baked potatoes. But because of their spiritual immaturity and lack of development, they were still just spiritual infants. And he wasn't talking about brand new Christians. And brand new Christians, it's quite all right that they're still drinking the spiritual milk of God's Word. Because he said they had been Christians for a long time. They had been down the road a little ways with Jesus. Jesus tells us this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Circle in your mind the words doing them. Jesus is telling us that blessings are always linked to applying His Word in our lives in the doing and not just the knowing. I want the blessings of God in my life, but Jesus says there's a link. The blessings are linked with the doing. James puts it this way in a a Scripture passage that's very familiar to you. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. What's he say? Do what it says. The word deceive here was a word used in the Greek referring to mathematics and a miscalculation in mathematics. James is saying that Christians who are content with only hearing the word and not doing what the word says have made a serious spiritual miscalculation. They've made a 2 plus 2 equals 5 miscalculation in their life. So what exactly is application? Application is when I take what I learn from God's Word in my reading and study, and I apply it in my life in a way that's personal and practical for me. D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Church, a church that's over 100 years old and downtown Chicago, he said this, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. God wants us to read and study the Bible and then be changed by what we've read and studied in the Bible. The wonderful thing is God will prompt us by the Holy Spirit to see our need for change, our improvement. In those areas where we're studying and where God is leading us. And that's when it becomes personal. When you open the Bible and you see your life depicted and portrayed there. It's you and what God is showing you about yourself from the pages of His book. Not your wife. Not your best friend, not your employee or your employer, but about yourself. Becoming a doer of the Word and not just a hearer of the Word or a reader of the Word. Application is when I allow God to overlay the truth of the Bible to my life situation and circumstances. It's when the light bulb goes off in my spirit and I say, oh, yeah, okay. That's for me and and what I'm going through right now. You know, last week, Pastor Damon taught us that spiritual growth just doesn't happen by itself. 
we saw that spiritual maturity just doesn't happen because we've been Christians for three years or five years or, or 15 years plus. We'll only be able to ignite our spiritual growth if we're intentional about some things. And one of those things is to learn to feed ourselves the spiritual health food found in the Bible. If we're serious about growing spiritually, and I hope you are serious about that, and you're serious about becoming spiritually mature, we will learn to feed ourselves. We're going to stop relying on others solely to feed us. And if we're serious, we will trade the bottle for a knife and fork and we'll start digging into God's Word. If you want to ignite your spiritual growth, commit yourself, first of all, to the authority of the Bible. That's going to be our authority for all of our life. And then commit to not just reading a bit of it here and there, but to study the Bible by prayer, by meditation, and then by application. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to study your word. We want to grow up and be spiritually mature. We live in very dangerous times. A lot of spiritual deception. A lot of people being led astray. And Lord, we don't want to fall into that category. We want to know what your word says. We want to be strong in your word. We want to be no longer babies, Lord, in the spiritual sense. We want to be full-blown, strong adults. Lord, the food that we need in that process of growing up is the food we found find in the Bible. Teach us, Lord God, and put a desire in our hearts to read your word, to study your word, to get the right tools, to ask other people for help, whatever it might be. But, Lord, to know then there will come a time that we have to do it for ourselves. We have to do it for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us make that commitment today to the authority of God's Word and that commitment then to pray and to meditate and to apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.